Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. I have a question for you this morning. The question is why? Why did you come to this building this morning? Now notice I didn't say why did you come to church because you are the church. The church is scattered throughout the world at all times. Occasionally the church gathers at some place, this building. But why did you come today? Now, maybe you didn't stop to think about that before you came. Maybe you haven't stopped to think about it for a long time, but why? Now, for some people in their background, the why of the reason they went to a gathering of the church was a sense of obligation sense of duty, even a fear that God operates on a system that is conditional. That is that if you do the right things often enough, then he will bless your life. But if you don't, then you're going to have trouble and difficulty, sort of performance-based acceptance. And a lot of us grew up with that mindset, did we not? That church was an obligation, a duty, something you did to satisfy God temporarily, at least for one week. And then if you performed the duties okay, you would think that, well, life's not going to be too difficult. In fact, if you go to the book of Job, essentially Job's friends were telling Job that very thing. And Job thought that. See, Job said, I'm a righteous man. If I could just have an audience with God, I would explain to him that I'm a good guy and these bad things shouldn't be happening to me, that I don't deserve it. And his friends were saying to him, look, Job, you have sinned. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in all this trouble. Or even remember the, um, the man born blind and people ask, who sinned? Was it his parents or him? Who sinned that caused this? And Jesus said, no. It wasn't that at all. It was for the glory of God, really, that he might heal him. See, a lot of us have this sense of obligation or duty before God, a religious obligation in thinking that if we don't perform adequately, God's not satisfied with us. And let me suggest to you that is not why God calls the church, the body of Christ, together together. That if that's your mindset, if that's a lingering influence in your life, you need to get rid of it. That God does not call the church together together in order to meet some standard. It's sort of like the scripture says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, if God had set aside a day called the Sabbath and said, this is the holy day, and he made man for the Sabbath, then the Sabbath would be the most important thing. 
But he said just the opposite, that the Sabbath was made for man. Meaning that you need a Sabbath, you need a rest. It is something good for you. It's a gift to you from God. So let me go back to the question of why. Why did you bother today? Was it out of religious duty, obligation, fear? See, at the core of that religious duty thing is fear. A fear that if I don't measure up, God's going to be dissatisfied with me. Did you come today because of habit? It's just what I do. I've done it this way for a long time. It's not necessarily a bad habit. You know, it takes about 30 days to make or break a habit. And some habits that we make are very good and healthy. Maybe about your lifestyle in terms of exercise or eating or something like that. Some habits are very good. And of course, some are not so good. But let me suggest another idea. I believe that people really, whether they recognize it or not, go to a church gathering because they want a personal encounter with God. You may not be consciously aware that's what you're seeking or looking for. You may not even think of it in that way, but I believe that really at the core, people want a personal encounter with God. In fact, this is why people participate in a lot of religious things, pagan religious things that we could talk about in biblical times or false religions of modern times. That people participate in a lot of different religious things because we live in a world that gives evidence that there is a God or some people think many gods and that we somehow want to connect with that. We want to have an encounter with God. Now, of course, I talked often about the fact that we're in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And the spirits of evil want to deceive human beings in any way they possibly can to worship anything other than the one true God. This is why in the, in the commandments, God himself said, have no other gods before me. And where Satan and the demonic work feverishly all the time to get you to have some other God other than the true God. But because people have a natural desire to have an encounter with God, the demonic can work on that, deceive, pull people away, bring them into things that give them temporary spiritual experiences. But what we really, really want is a constant, ongoing encounter with the living God. And really, this is the message of the gospel of Christ. The message of the gospel of Christ is that you can have a personal relationship with the living God. The one who is the sacrifice, the propitiation, the covering for your sin, who made it possible that you can have direct connection with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who made it possible that the Spirit of God would dwell within you, that you could walk in union with him at all times, that you could call upon him at any moment for any situation, whatever the circumstance is, and he would be there with you. And that when you gather together in a body, in worship, in fellowship, 
that his spirit inhabits the praises of his people. That there is something that flows out that is a blessing to each person. And let me suggest to you that you came seeking an encounter with the living God. You didn't have to seek outside of your personal experience, but you sought something that happens in corporate worship that just does not happen when you are alone. I was seated and praying during the worship time and much of the worship this morning were old hymns and I noticed people around me, I could hear them very clearly. It was so quiet and hear many, many voices singing and it's a beautiful thing. And remember I have suggested in our time of study about spiritual warfare and prayer that whenever the body of Christ comes together in worship like that, that it is a form of prayer and we are simultaneously standing against the darkness. So when you come, there is an encounter with the living God. Of course, he already dwells within you. But it, this corporate encounter with him is something different. Now, let me suggest even further that the reason you really, really want to come and gather together is because you're thirsty or you're hungry spiritually. You may not have thought about that, but in a given week, how many times are you physically hungry and thirsty? Well, often. In a given week, how many times are you spiritually hungry and thirsty? And what happens when we come together in worship is that the Lord's Spirit is filling your soul, your spirit with nourishment. That he is imparting to you what your soul and your spirit needs, whether you realize it or not. And you might be asking, what does this have to do with brokenness? Which is what we talked about last week and what I want to talk about again this week. And in doing this little teaching about brokenness, which was not planned to be a series, and who knows whether it is at this point or not. But I think the Lord said to me that his people, his church, that they are broken. That in our culture, our society, there are a lot of broken people within the body of Christ. And the Lord wants us to understand what is good brokenness and what is bad, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. He wants us to walk in the freedom of being broken before him while simultaneously being healed from the brokenness that is not from him. That you come together as a body of Christ to find nourishment. And for many of you, what you need is healing from brokenness. So let me go back to where we were last week. And we were talking about Psalm 51. The scripture where it says that the Lord does not delight in sacrifice. He doesn't delight in burnt offerings, even though that was the requirement of the law of the Old Testament. All of those sacrifices were made as foreshadowings to prophecies, in essence, about 
the nature of Christ. They weren't to satisfy God. They weren't to do something that would please him per se. That's not what primarily pleases him. What pleases him, the scripture says here, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. But what I said last week is that there is a healthy type of brokenness and there is an unhealthy brokenness. And I want to explore that more today and next week. I've already decided where we're going next week. And this is an idea that you and I need to sort out the difference between the two. Because this brokenness that is referred to here is a brokenness that is pleasing to God. It is good. And some people might read this scripture and think, well, I'm broken. Maybe that's just the way God likes it. He wants me broken and shattered and wounded all of the time. And that's not exactly what we're talking about. In fact, we looked at 2 Corinthians last week where it says that there is a sorrow that is according to the will of God, that it brings repentance and it leads to salvation. But there is also a sorrow that is of the world that leads to death, that there is a healthy sorrow, one that brings me to humility and contrition before God. Then there's an unhealthy sorrow, one that just wears me down, drains my life. It, it robs me of the joy of living. And the spirits of evil are good at confusing Christians about the two. Because we recognize, if you've come to know Christ, that it did require this brokenness in your heart, humility in your heart, to sacrifice, to submit to him, to invite him into your life. So there is something good about that type of brokenness. But then the spirits of evil mistakenly put in our minds the idea that God wants you to stay broken and wounded and that you're not able to really function in life. That's not it. God wants you broken before him but whole and healed in order to do what he wants you to do. We talked last week about the brokenness that is inflicted upon us by others. This was King David writing about his enemies, that they showed him reproach and they put shame and dishonor upon him, that all his adversaries were always before him, that he had this problem. He said, my heart is broken. I am sick because of what other people have done. Well, this is a reality in life, is it not, from time to time? That people, because we live in a sinful world, Sometimes people who are filled with evil do things that really hurt us, harm us, break our heart in a very wicked way. Sometimes people who are not inherently evil but who are unwise do things that likewise break our heart. I think of some of the situations I've known over the years where a rebellious child, when becoming an adult, just broke off relationship with their parents or went into a lifestyle that their parents couldn't accept. Even though they still loved them, they knew that what they were doing was wrong, whether it was an addiction or something immoral. And it just broke the heart of the parent. I think in my own life, how I must have broken the heart of my own parents some when I was a young and foolish man. But you see, there are things in this world where sinful people will impart things upon you that bring a measure of brokenness. But we talked last week too, 
And in retrospect, I realized that I was introducing last week two aspects of something we must explore much more deeply. That is this side of a healthy brokenness and an unhealthy brokenness. And I, I concluded by saying there is joy medicine for the brokenhearted that God has a special way of imparting to you blessings. In fact, last week, if you were here or you watched online, I talked about this young boy, Noah, who runs and, gives, and jumps into my arms and gives me a hug. And guess what? I was standing in the lobby this morning before the service and there came Noah. The lightning bolt of joy struck me right before the service. You see, there's something good about how God wants to renew the brokenhearted. And so I want to continue to talk about brokenness. First, to explore more what is healthy brokenness. And then to explore God healing the brokenness in our lives that is not good. We'll probably spend a lot more time on that next week than this. So I want to go back to Psalm 51 where it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Now there, this type of brokenness is what I've entitled here brokenness before the Lord. There is a very, very healthy thing about being broken before him. It is a humble place. It's a place where there is a reverent fear of God. In fact, one of the things that has stricken my mind in the last few years is the extreme lack of a fear of God in our culture. To me, it's a dangerous thing for any human being to have a disrespect or lack of reverent fear of who God is, is a dangerous thing. And it is a very healthy thing to revere him because of his holiness, his majesty, his glory. And the brokenness that is a healthy brokenness recognizes who he is. That he created all things, he's in charge of every life in this world, that he can have fellowship with each one of us individually, that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. How he accomplishes all that he does, I do not know. But what I do know is that he radically changes lives, that he loves those, he loves every person. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, no, none would perish. But, he, but those who seek him, he pours out his love in their lives. And he, he reveals himself to those who have a, the humility to seek him. Do you realize that humility or this idea of a contrite heart is the requirement, the prerequisite to really knowing him? That's why brokenness before the Lord is such a healthy and beautiful and wonderful thing. Over the years, I've met people who very quickly, it was obvious to me that they had a deep love for the Lord. I mean, it just, it was so evident. And often I have thought in, in meeting such a person, what trial or difficulty did they go through 
that broke them and brought them to the place of such humility that they love God so deeply. You see, you don't get to a deep, deep love of God unless there is a place of brokenness in your life that is healthy and good. This type of brokenness before God. Some of you could probably point immediately to the season of life that was the deepest trial, the most challenging thing you've been through, that it, in some way it changed you, it transformed you, it broke you of the selfish, sinful, prideful person that you were and brought you to a place of greater humility and contrition and recognition of who God is. And even though it was painful and difficult, it was good for you. See, this is the brokenness that is talked about right here. I think this brokenness before the Lord brings us to repentance from sin, that it causes us to surrender control. Human beings live with the illusion, this false idea that we're in control. Sometimes some of the rather prideful, arrogant people that are trying to do things in our culture just they make me almost nauseous because they think they can control things of this world. The wise person realizes that I don't have control. The very wise person recognizes I don't want control. I want him to be in control. You see, because a brokenness before the Lord brings you to a place where you yield your will. It is very interesting to me that the one thing really that God has given you the capacity to control is your own personal will. I mean, you didn't control what family you would be born into or the time frame in which you would be born. You didn't control the physical characteristics that you have or the mental characteristics and gifts and all those things. God determined all of those things. He has set certain parameters within which you can make decisions and within those parameters, you control your little will. But your will is a powerful thing in regard to your individual life and how you impact others. And see, the wise person, the healthy person, surrenders their will in brokenness before him. It causes you to learn to put others before yourself. Because we're all born naturally self-centered. And yet, as we go through the journey of life, God wants to break us of that to impart his life to us, which is a life that is poured out in love and concerned about others. And also in this idea, when you're broken before the Lord, you recognize the sovereign hand of God. You don't stand and say, I've got a few things to say to God or I want to straighten him out about this issue or I'll tell him how he should be doing things in this world. No. You realize that what's going on in this world is far more magnificent than any of us can comprehend. There's a lot of evil in the world that I don't like, but God has permitted it for a season, the season of this life, to create the backdrop in which you would make choices that are real choices that matter for eternity. 
whereby you would be a person who would be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, that people would see the glory of the living God in you, in this world, in the midst of all the darkness. Because do you realize that there are countless people throughout history and today that today are in bondage to darkness, but a year from now or even a day from now may be transformed. That they come to knowing just like you did, their life's course would be changed. And so God is patient, not wanting any to perish, allowing all the darkness, all the evil, so that people can make choices with their will, whether or not to embrace him and walk with him or reject him. And see, the person who is broken before the Lord, it is such a beautiful and wonderful place. It is the place where you grow and flourish. See, one of the things that has happened, I've been here so long, that is just as I look around the room, I see people whose hearts have been broken through trials, through the loss of loved ones, through the challenges of life. And yet I also see and know that in those hurts, in those deep hurts, that God renews and restores, brings healing and hope. So while there is a brokenness that is good, there's also a brokenness that he wants to heal. Now there is a fruit or fruitfulness that comes from brokenness. In Psalm 24, it says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Now, because of the work of Christ, you have direct access to him. You don't have to go to a priest or anybody else to be the intermediary for you. You go to Christ. He is the one who is the go-between between you and God the Father. But it says here, the one who has this special position... In other words, the one who sees God, who walks with him, who listens to him is the one who has clean hands, meaning that they're not involved in evil and wicked deeds, a pure heart. Their motives are genuine and clean, that they haven't lifted up their soul to falsehood. Another version would say they haven't committed idolatry. In other words, they're not worshiping things of this world. They're worshiping the true God and that they haven't sworn deceitfully. In other words, they're walking in truth. That the person who is broken before the Lord, he recreates in you a pure heart, a desire for holiness, a desire to walk in complete truth all of the time and to honor him. See, this fruit is purity of heart. It's God-honoring deeds. It's free, being free from love of the world. It's abiding in truth. And such a person advances the kingdom of God. Do you realize that there are a lot of people who do things saying they're they're doing them for God or in the name of God who are deceived and walking in lies? You know, there are people who commit murder and like terrorist acts and things like that and they say they're doing it for some God. They are deceived and walking in lies. There's a lack of brokenness before the genuine, true God. But the person who lives 
with this humility and contrition of heart is a person who is advancing the kingdom of God. All last year when I was talking about the true church, it's the call of his church today to advance his kingdom one person at a time. And as you embrace and live in the power of God and, and allow him to richly flow in you, you inevitably are used as a vessel, a tool of his to advance the kingdom one life at a time in all the people that you encounter. Now on the other side of this, there are hearts that are unbroken. In fact, I think a lot of us want to protect ourselves and protect us from brokenness. But this scripture in Jeremiah says this, that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. I think another version says desperately wicked. Who can understand it? In other words, do you understand your own heart? There is clear evidence to me that humans often do not. Part of the evidence is what I've seen in my own life where God has revealed to me things that were in my heart, in my mind, in my soul that were not good, not of him, and I didn't even recognize it. I was blind to it until he brought it to the forefront. And another way in which I realize this is true, that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, is how people will rationalize and justify what they know to be morally wrong. They absolutely know what they are doing is morally wrong, but they will rationalize and justify it because it's lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes, meaning there's something they so deeply desire, they want it, and they'll justify it even though they know in the core of their soul it's morally wrong. And the reason we know is what? The moral law of God is written on the hearts of man. You cannot deny it. You can harden your heart against it. You can suppress it. But if you lie, you know it's wrong unless your heart is hard. And see, the heart is deceitfully wicked. This is why a broken and contrite heart is a sacrifice to God that pleases him. Because a broken heart, a contrite heart, is one that is turning away from the deceit and wickedness that is natural to every human being. This is why a brokenness is absolutely necessary. See, the scripture says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways. God knows your heart better than you know your heart. I am certain of that. It's sort of like, remember King David, he committed his sin with Bathsheba and he covered it up. He committed murder in essence with her husband, Uriah. And he went on for some time period, we don't know exactly how long, apparently thinking it's all okay. But God knew what had gone on and he knew his heart and he knew how to penetrate his heart and he sent the prophet Nathan. And remember what Nathan did? He didn't come and immediately confront him with his actions. He told him a story, gave him an example of, of a person being unjust, of a person with great wealth taking advantage of somebody who had very little. And David listened to the story and what happened to him? He got angry. It's like, how dare such a person? We'll bring him to justice. And then Nathan says, you are the man. 
See, that was a clear example of God knowing the heart of David more or better than David knew his own heart. Because he gave Nathan the exact words that would just lay his heart bare. I mean, that's what happened to David is, is God just basically ripped open his heart and said, you're the man. Now here is a dangerous spot. Because there is this question about, A, am I really broken before the Lord? Am I really contrite, surrendered to him? And then B, is there some part of my heart that is deceitfully wicked? That could lead me down a path of destruction for myself and harm to others. And of course, all of us have heard or seen over the years of terrible examples of this within Christianity. Christian leaders who themselves were clearly unbroken before God or they would not have gone down the path that they were in where their own hearts deceived them often in immorality to doing things that caused them to fall and then harm the body of Christ. See, that is an example of a heart that is wicked, deceived, and a heart that is unbroken. It's interesting. Because of all the technology and media that we have now, we have rock stars in every area of life. You know, they're rock star athletes and rock star pastors. And no human being can stand up well when they're placed on a pedestal and turned into an idol because the idol will always fall. And you see, brokenness in our heart, this healthy brokenness before the Lord is the thing that is necessary to keep your own heart from deceiving you. Did you catch that? The really wise people like Phil here are writing it down. <laughs> that brokenness before the Lord is necessary to keep your own heart from deceiving you. And sadly, I've seen way too often where that lack of brokenness led to personal deception and then a pathway of destruction. In fact, I've done funerals for people where I am convinced that God said enough to them. Now, this is very rare. The vast majority of times when I've done a funeral, it's because someone has lived a godly life and God has said, well done, good and faithful servant. Like I mentioned to you, I did just 
Two funerals just last week. Both of those were people who lived godly lives. And I'm sure the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. But over the years, I have done a couple of funerals where I think the Lord said, enough. That there is a sin unto death where they'd chosen an immoral lifestyle, walked down that, rebelled against what God was doing. He was warning them. They, they knew the Lord. They had saving faith, but God said, you cannot continue in that path. And he said, enough. See, that's a case of the heart being so deceitful, so unbroken, that eventually God had to bring judgment. And remember, judgment is always an act of love when it comes from God. See, a heart that is unbroken ends up being broken by the world. It's selfish, it's scheming in its motives. It's deceitful, it's manipulative in its actions and deeds. It's filled with love for this world more than love for God. It believes lies and lives in deception. And whether you realize it or not, it advances the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. See, an unbroken heart is selfish and self-centered. It inevitably is manipulative and deceitful. You ever been around anybody where you just knew they were manipulating you a lot? The most common worst examples of this are people who are addicted to something and they manipulate everybody around them to get a fix because their fix is their idol. An unbroken heart loves this world, even though this world is passing away. It certainly believes lies and lives in deception. And without even recognizing it, without even knowing it, is an instrument of darkness. I mean, if you don't know God, you're by definition an object of his wrath because you are an instrument of darkness. I look at that in my own life before I knew Christ and say, yep, I had to be. And yet, I think what saddens me more is when a person calls upon the name of Christ, but their heart is unbroken, at least in some area. They have some stronghold as a consequence. They live in some lies because they are unbroken. And sometimes, even those who call themselves Christians and may genuinely have saving faith are, instead of advancing the kingdom of light, advancing the kingdom of darkness. Do you realize that? Some people who are unbroken before the Lord, who lack humility, who lack contrition, even though they might have saving faith, may be advancing the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. See, Peter was a follower of Christ, but at one point, Jesus had to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Because an unbroken person, which Peter was, Peter was unbroken until such time as he denied Christ, saw the crucifixion, realized the resurrection, realized how much he had failed, and it broke Peter. And it was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because once Peter was broken, then he became the cornerstone, the rock upon which Christ built the church. But he had to be broken first. Now, see, look, next week, I want to talk about God healing the brokenness in your life that is not from him, that's not healthy. But first of all, you and I need the foundation of recognizing that brokenness before the Lord is a wonderful thing. 
pride before God is despicable. It's, it's the most terrible looking thing that one can see. It's filled with darkness. It harms, it hurts. Now in a moment, our interpretive movement team, which is from Worship Arts, is gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a time of worship, but I invite you to make it a time of prayer. Really about a couple of things. About where might you still need to be broken? Where do you recognize that you have a tendency to rebel against what God wants from you? Where might you still need to humble yourself before him? And then likewise, where might there be deceit in your heart? Where there's a unbrokenness, there's simultaneously likely some place of deception. Some place you're rationalizing it's okay when it's not. So as they come, I would encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and reveal to you. Where do you need good and healthy brokenness? Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each person here. Reveal to us the darkness of our own heart. Any place where we know we are rebelling against you rather than submitting in humility before you. Bring your healing and your wholeness. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.